This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. The Johns Hopkins University Press will add three journals to its collection in 2017. One of those journals is 20th Century China, edited by Kristen Stapledon from the University at Buffalo. The journal publishes articles from a wide range of disciplinary perspectives focused on China in the 20th century. Stapleton joined us to talk about our new partnership and the direction of the journal for the future. Thank you for joining me, Kristen. Tell me, what does this partnership mean for the journal? All the editorial board and the editorial staff is very pleased to be working with John Hopkins University Press because uh, we're all very familiar with it as a high-quality publishing company, and particularly because Johns Hopkins University Press publishes Late Imperial China, which we think of as our sister journal. So we know a lot of people are looking to the press for what they offer, and they'll be finding us if they don't already know about us. Also, the other thing that we're really pleased about is that uh, all of our content will be available on Project Muse, which is widely known and, and uh, subscribed to. So we'll be getting the word out more 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 clearly, I think, with this partnership. So I've been very impressed with the uh, level of detail that, that the Johns Hopkins University Press staff has in mind and their, the quickness with which they respond to our queries. Uh, it's a very professional operation, so we're very pleased to be joining it. What sets the journal apart? Obviously, it's a, it's a field that a lot of people might not know about, but what kind of makes you really special for researchers and students who, who might be trying to write that paper or do that research? 20th century Chinese history is one of the great stories in world history. Uh, China has changed so much over that time, and our journal covers the whole span of the 20th century and presents uh, the latest research, really. Our, the people who publish in our journals have been going to archives and working in the field, and uh, so we're really pleased to be able to bring the latest ideas and arguments and materials about 20th century China to the wider scholarly world. So that's that's what we aim to do, and I think we do it very well. Tell me a little bit about how the Internet and digitization has really helped the journal be, be able to be relevant based in the U.S. and covering China. How much has have uh, digitized collections and things of that nature uh, been a uh, help to the journal? People who study Chinese history love to go to China for the most part, and so we always like to go and work in archives, and not everything has been digitized, but uh, digitization certainly has been a great boon for our field because uh, the Chinese uh, Chinese libraries, Chinese archives have been very diligently making more of their materials available. So in a graduate seminar, for instance, at a university in the United States, graduate students can actually read archives online uh, in addition to, to published collections of archives, and that makes it possible for graduate students to complete projects that are publishable, you know, even without the, the field research. Of course, as I say, we all like to get to China, so uh, eventually those students will, will be spending large amounts of time in China interacting with Chinese scholars and students and visiting archives. But it's true, the Internet has been great. The other thing the Internet has allowed us to do is add to the board 
editorial board members who are based in Asia, and that connects us more closely with these in that, that part of the world. So one thing we would like to do more of, we've already done some of, is publish scholarship by scholars based in Asia, uh, which has the you know the additional difficulty of having to to get the material translated, but. Our editorial board is uh, very hardworking, and they've managed to do this in the past through volunteer translators, and I think that will just really help scholarly communication across the world. Yeah, that was something I hadn't really thought of to, to work on the translation end. That, that um, Like you said, it presents some challenges, but it also presents some great opportunities for people to have great collaborations, I bet. Yeah, and I, we really like to encourage that. Uh, scholarly communities are... In, in the past, have been sort of somewhat limited to national national language communities, uh, but we're we and many other people are trying to break down those those barriers and bring people in, into easier communication. Um, so, talking about people who want to submit to the journal, what should people who are looking at at, at at this kind of research, what should they be thinking of when they're preparing a paper for 20th century China? What's the focus they should should kind of keep their eye on? Well, of course, we'd like the like people interested in publishing the journal to read what we've what we've already published <laughs> because uh, because they, that can both give them an idea of the kind of material we're interested in and also you know help their own research. We always like to see uh, our relevant articles cited in in public in submissions that we receive. Our field is pretty wide open. We we uh, anything that's relevant to 20th century China, we will certainly take a look at. We we have sometimes received materials that are kind of narrowly focused on say literary history that didn't have a, a, a an obvious broader connection to wider scholarly uh, concerns and those those things we tend to encourage people to publish in literary journals but you know anything that would appeal broadly to historians in 20th century China we're very we're very interested in looking at uh, what kind of things do you have planned for 2017 and beyond special issues things of that nature that people can look forward to we have uh, we don't have any special issues in the works right now. We just published over the past two years. We published two that we're very pleased about. One on West China, edited by Ken Pomerantz at the University of Chicago, and one on language reform, Chinese language reform in the 20th century, edited by Professor Jin Tzu at Yale. And uh, so we're very pleased about those. We like to get special issues. They're a little harder to coordinate. Uh, because all of the all of the materials have to go through the regular review system at at the same rate, which sometimes is a challenge, uh, but we like to do that when we can. So our editorial board actually goes to a lot of scholarly meetings, and they pay a lot of attention to the most interesting panels, and then ask the people who organized it if they'd be interested in doing a special issue. That's how the two I mentioned came to be. Uh, but for 2017, we're this uh, the transition to Johns Hopkins University Press is going very well, and we have a steady lineup of really interesting uh, separate articles, individual articles, on a huge range of topics. And I guess that's a really good mix of having the special issues and the general issues so people, you know, they're going to find that good variety, but also once in a while, pretty laser focus on something. Right, and the special issues I can I imagine will will be used in graduate seminars and and other classes because they do uh, bring a focused attention to, and sustained attention to one particular topic. 
But we also, you know, welcome some of our individual articles in the, in the past year have been really fascinating as well. We've got one coming up in January. Our first issue with Johns Hopkins University Press will include an essay co-written by one of our editorial board members, John Fitzgerald, who's based in Australia, and it's about how... Uh, uh, Chinese who had had experience or grown up in Australia interacted with uh, the Chinese community in Shanghai in the 1920s and 30s to set new patterns in philanthropy. So an article about the history of philanthropy in China and its and uh, kind of trans transnational influences on it. That sounds fascinating. And like you said, the transnational, as you get these people in different countries working on one topic, that must bring up so many opportunities. Right. We, we try to encourage that. Well, that's great. Thank you for joining me today, Kristen. We're excited about this partnership as well on our end, and we look forward to many years of success. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.